Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Instead, she's like carrying on like an absolute pickle. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Like, like you, I don't know, you're in an echo chamber. I'm thinking ahead to the beer that I'm going to drink after we are done recording Ooh, this. So I, I don't know if I have a beer in my fridge, but oh, I have a lot of wine. I, I have a lot of rosé and I have a lot of Prosecco. It's the summer of rosé, so I guess I'll take one of those. And I think I may have drunk the last beer last night with my neighbours. <laughs> Let's get our minds around what's about to happen. It is the final Grand Slam of the year. We've had an incredibly interesting tennis season so far. And we have so, so many things to discuss, including a number of questions from people who listen to our podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for asking questions. Keep it up. Where should we start? Well, first of all, I just want to say how great it is for the both of us to be in our city... For a Grand Slam. Yeah, of course. You don't even need to sleep on my couch, which is great, <laughs> because God knows you did during Wimbledon. Yes. Um, lucky you're little, because you fit really well. Thank um, you. Okay, well, yeah, let's get into the last Grand Slam, I mean, of the year. It's pretty amazing, actually, when you think about it, what's sort of happened and transpired again in women's tennis, that we don't have a dominant world number one, we yeah. don't have a dominant player, we've had a number of different Grand Slam winners again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Halep is a reoccurring Slam champion over the last couple of years, like Kerber. 
Um, but, you know, we had Ash Barty at the French and Naomi Osaka, of course, back-to-back U.S. Open, Australian Open. How's she going to do at this U.S. Open? It's been a tough grind for her since winning the Australian Open. Yeah, although now she's back at number one. And she is back at number looking one. Looking degree gain form. Which is one of the sort of Twitter fights that I had over the last uh, couple of weeks. Oh, you know geez. how I like to have those oh, Twitter geez. fights. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I brought up on Twitter was that, you know, everybody losing their mind about Naomi Osaka losing a match and then still being number one at the end of the week. Like, you guys have to remember, she has points on her on her ranking of winning the Australian Open and winning the US Open. I mean, yeah. those are enormous amount of points. It's very hard to catch somebody when they've got two Grand Slam titles in their pocket. Well, let me stop you just for a second, because I think what people don't understand, and I don't understand it very well, is how it changes so much week to week. So can you talk a little bit about how the points fall off if you don't defend, if you did well in a certain part of the year one year, and you don't do as well in that same part of the year it's considered you having failed to defend your points. So yeah. is, that, is that what it, it is? Yeah, it so here? it's a 52-week rotation, for example. So there might have been a period, maybe Naomi, I wouldn't, I'd have to look at how she did, for example, at the tournaments when she dropped and when she went to one. And you think about Ash Barty, for example, who didn't have a ton of points to defend in the middle part or actually at the start of the year, to be honest. She mm-hmm. had a good year last year at the beginning. She had a really great end of the year. Mm-hmm. But she had a good solid year last year, but it wasn't like there was no standout like you know victory Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden she wins miami okay so she adds x amount of points a huge amount of points on her on her ranking there and she has a really solid run throughout that and then she wins the french open which is a huge amount of points that she's added on now for example Halep, who had the french open points on her on her ranking they dropped off you know because she didn't win the french again so she goes from i don't even know let's take a guess five thousand points and bang loses two thousand points right there if you don't make at least the semis or the final you're winning a great huge amount of points that are on the calendar. Right. So so maybe the best way to think about it is... And then Halep also won Canada. Right. Okay, so she won the French Open last year and she won Canada, which are two huge tournaments on her. And she didn't defend those points, but she won Wimbledon, right? right? So she put the points on that she lost in the French, okay, this year. And someone like Ash Barty, who didn't have to defend a lot of the points from last year, has added a huge amount of points. Now, Naomi, for example... Well, I don't know what she's going to drop to if she doesn't win the U.S. Open. Right. Certainly if she makes the finals, that'll help her. It'll buffer some of the points that she will lose. But then you'll see her drop probably, I don't know, five or six you know, ranking spots. Got it. Um, but she still has the Australian Open points on her on her. So record. she won't drop too far. She won't drop she too far defend. because she has the defense. She has the Australian Open points on her. On so her it sounds record. like not to get too you know particular about this, but it sounds like what it is is essentially like a hovering yeah. number or yeah. maybe a race, and people can pull ahead or, or fall behind. But it's not so much so that the rankings take immediate effect um, vis-a-vis your results in one particular match or two, which exactly. is what, why I think so many people were so sort of yeah shocked. because they're like, well, how can she's been playing so terrible all year? I'm like, yeah, but she has two Grand Slam titles on her. Right. on her ranking still and unless somebody does the, that same thing for example that's why Ash was able to overhaul her because Ash put on she had the win uh, in Miami and the win at the French Open those yeah. points catapulted her over Naomi because Naomi maybe lost a couple of points that she had made up over the French Open time right and Naomi presumably did not do well at last year's French Open either so that period of the year was probably pretty weak for her okay so going into it in terms of the women's side of the draw it's super fascinating to me. I mean, I am always uh, usually more excited about the, the women's side just because we do have such a rotating cast of characters who can go deep. There's a super, super interesting contrast in styles. And, you know, obviously having had three different women win three different slams, Naomi in Australia, we had 
uh, Hall- at, at Halibut at Wimbledon, and then between the two of them, we had Ash Barty at yeah. the French. So, you know, any one of those three is your favorite? Is there a favorite? Is that even a relevant question in, in the women's side of the draw? No, I, there's no favorite. Yeah. There truly is no favorite going into, you know, Halibut was the favorite at the French because she was defending champion, but also she would say that, you know, Clay is her favorite yeah. surface. And she had made a final before. Two finals before. And look what she did. She yeah. won on grass at Wimbledon. Right. You know, so there's just no predictability in women's tennis anymore. I mean, Ash Barty would have said, if you if she was going, if you would have said to her, all right, you're going to win either the French or Wimbledon yeah. prior to one of those two states. And I said to her, no, no, you are going to win one of them. Yeah. Which one would you think it would be? She would probably say Wimbledon. Right. So, you know, it's now just proving to you that, first of all, the the surfaces are all bloody blending into the same yeah. as far as speed of court is concerned. I mean, even the grass is slow. But there's just it just shows you the depth of women's tennis. And if somebody has a little bit of an off day, people are now willing to step up and win those matches. And yeah. so it's huge. I mean, one of the most consistent players at slam level, really, over the last two years has been Serena. Sure. You know, she's been in the finals now back to, you know, Wimbledon. She's been in the finals of US Open last year. She made, you know, a deep run in Australia, lost that, you know, heartbreaking match with Pliskova. But, you know, she's there. Yeah. Um, and she's my she's probably my favorite to if she can physically handle it yeah. to win the US Open because you have to pick somebody who's done it 23 times <laughs> and who's also been in the final a number of times since coming back. Yeah. Um, emotionally, can she handle it and win a 24th? This is a big one. She's all, U.S. Open's always been the hardest emotionally for her to win because yeah. it's so there's so much of her time is pulled aside doing other things here. Yeah. Um, and obviously she wants to win in the U.N. the United States more than anything. So yeah. it would and make. And it was decided for her first slam at age 19. Yeah, and she wants to desperately win one as a mom and yeah. obviously equal the record. So there's a lot on the line for Serena, but she's still. If I had to pick one person as my favorite, it would be her. Yeah. But she has an interesting first round against Maria Sharapova. So all eyeballs will be on that. Listen. Serena will dominate the match, I feel. Um, she's dominated the matches over Maria. Maria has barely played you know, matches this year. So that in itself is if you have to pick a winner. I mean, you have to pick Serena by a long way. But just the fact that the intrigue of the relationship of those two and you know, what they've brought to women's tennis over the last 10, 15 years, which is you know, an enormous amount of spotlight, um, it just, you know, ESPN couldn't be happier well i saw something insane um where a lot of fans were saying oh it's rigged the usta rigged it <laughs> it's um, not rigged people no, trust me they don't want maria and serena playing in the first round no they way. want they them playing want in the popcorn quarters for for the each of them to have their own night session separately and yeah. then meeting as you say in the quarters the same thing with uh Djokovic and federer and we'll get to the men in a minute but the same thing with them being in the same half like yeah. oh how can you believe it it's like well because they're that's their seedings yeah. i don't know it's like so no it's believe me when i tell you people out there this is what i say on twitter Caitlin, I go, here we go again, kids, okay? It's not rigged, okay? So let's just get that straight, all right? All right, good. But it'll be interesting. It'll be a great Monday night uh, viewing for us tomorrow night. I will be there. I mean, look, elections are rigged. Reality shows are <laughs> it's rigged. It's fake news, Caitlin. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fake news. start with that. But what we can say with certainty is the U.S. Open draws are not rigged. No. Um, let's get into some coaching news. You yourself have some news. Yeah, um... I got a call a couple of weeks ago from my old buddy, uh, I should say my old mate, Sam Stoza. Um, she's just looking to, you know, get a little bit of advice, a little bit of help through out the rest of this year, see if she can get a singles ranking back. Um, we'll give it a go and see what we can come up with together. And, um, you know, just she just wanted to have someone that she trusted and respected to help her out a little bit through the end of the year. So we'll see what we can do. Um, hopefully it will... Uh, result in a, a, some good results for Sam over the singles over the next few months, and if not, then she'll reevaluate where she's at. Um, 
And obviously also she's in, I think, fourth or fifth in the race in doubles. So it's, I'm, I'm handy to have around as far as helping with doubles as well. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, I'm uh, excited about trying to help her out. And, yeah, as I said, she's one of my good, really good friends. So I mean, listen, we had an incredible episode where you talked with Sam yeah. um, behind the scenes. And, you know, one thing that I think I've asked you before, and I know a lot of people are very curious about, is how do you join a team mid-year and kind of what perspective do you bring to anything so obviously you're not changing any mechanics you're obviously not you know doing anything that I'm changing really... some mechanics are you really in the middle of the season like before, yeah yeah uh, of course we worked on our volleys over the last uh really? you know, week or week or two and you know just sort of pointing out a couple of things that just to make things a little bit more clear in mm-hmm. her head um working yeah I'm, I'm constantly always you you know it doesn't matter how old you are and how long you've been out here you're always tinkering with getting better i mean yeah. look at roger i mean his his backhand for example yeah, yeah, over the yeah. last four years has been shorter incredible. backswing shorter backswing and i think that's coming from lubicic i yeah. really believe that lubicic has made a resounding difference with um roger federer's backhand because yeah. lubicic's you know his backhand was so beautiful and he took it on the rise so well that i think he's influenced roger in how to hit that shot better there's right. no doubt in my mind mm-hmm. um so yeah we're always tinkering around with stuff um and then another interesting coaching situation is, of course, Kamal Murray is back with Sloane Stevens. I have a feeling that was going to happen at some point. I just think that, you know, when you've had a really good relationship, it's not to say that it's going to work again. Sometimes it's like, you know, when, you, when your partner cheats on you and you think, oh, I'm going to make this work, and you give it a good old try again, and then you realize, <laughs> no, I really didn't cheat on you for a reason. I hate you. Cool. Uh, this is the relationship advice portion of the podcast oh, yeah. already. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, but yeah, good luck to them. Yeah. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, she's been in and out uh, and had a couple of different she had Sven Grunfeld that she was working with for a little bit. But sometimes it's just, you just take the advice. You just take the, you just get a better feeling with certain people. And I think that her and Kamal, obviously, I don't know, they hit a wall there for a little bit. And Kamal's really busy with his, um, with his academy in Chicago. And, you know, maybe Sloan wanted him on the road more and maybe he couldn't provide. But bottom line is, is that, you know, they work really well together. Yeah. So we'll see if that turns out to be a good move for her she's got a pretty tough draw at the u.s open throughout um but you know everybody knows when sloan gets on a roll boy is she good so obviously for american tennis i mean i said when she made the finals of paris i thought she could win upwards of five grand slams singles grand slam she's good enough to win on any surface and particularly on hard court so and on clay i mean she proved that at the french so so i think it's a good move so we'll see what happens let me ask you just a uh, coaching question because i have my own opinions, especially in what I love so much about hearing on-court coaching during televised matches, is you get some insight into what's yep. going on in players' heads. Obviously, you're right there with them. And um, I have to say, I was pretty underwhelmed by what Jermaine Jenkins was talking to Naomi Osaka about over the summer. You know, he was her hitting partner for a while. He was Serena's hitting partner for a while. He comes from the Jenkins family, many of whom I know and love because they're Atlanta guys, um, and there's five brothers overall, a couple All-Americans, a couple played, you know, lower level on the tour. Um, you know, and after Australia, where Naomi decided to stop working with Sasha Baijin, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, having won two Grand Slams in a row was an eyebrow-raising cray, cray. question, mm. uh, uh, an eyebrow-raising decision, certainly. You know, I was sort of wondering what in- exactly, you know, what, what kind of hands she was in with Jermaine, who's never co- coached anybody before. So I haven't heard any of his on-court coaching, yeah. so what was your... Um, he was, she was smiling and kind of trying out a newer, less dour kind mm-hmm. of on-court demeanor. Uh-huh. One of, this I think was in uh, Toronto or perhaps Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati, and won a pretty tight first set tiebreaker, 7-5, and he said, I don't know what you're out here smiling about. 
do you have nothing to smile about? You know, I need you to take this more seriously. She dumps the second set and kind of shrugs off his advice, regains her sort of giggly kind of like having a good time form and, and goes on to sort of dominate in the third and win the match. And I thought to myself, now, why would you say something to derail a winning player's if somebody's winning in a match, it seems like a dumb time to sort of offer countervailing advice. It's not the only time I heard him sort of not offer much, or in, in this case, I would say maybe offer something that I would perceive to be kind of counterintuitive, certainly. Well, I think, okay, so I... I That's just one anecdote. Obviously, I didn't see it, so I don't want to comment on, you know, Jermaine and what happened and what didn't happen and if it was right or wrong. Um, the one thing that you have to know as a coach is what... What does your play? How does your player play their best tennis? Mm-hmm. And if it is being relaxed, if it's being giggly, if it's being a certain way, then you have to allow them to be that way, and you have to recognize that. If it's sometimes a player gets a, a little bit, you know, with Carolina, for example, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, they would lose. She would lose a little bit of focus, um, mm-hmm. and with the way she plays, the more focused and more aggressive she mm-hmm. was, the better she would play. So there are times that you had to sort of lighten the situation up and make them feel like, like the world is not falling. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, there are times where you've got to refocus them. So it just depends on knowing your player. I mean, yeah. you have to know where your, where's your player's best tennis going to come from is it going to be relaxed is it going to be super focused do they have problems with like taking walkabouts as we say you know and like three ga- three games go by and they haven't hit three balls in the court and you're yeah. just like what the f- i'm happen? very familiar with walkabouts in my own but game. you know it happens so you might need to go out and be like yo we need to refocus now Get back. because yeah. we know that you can only have a 30 minute span of concentration yeah so let's refocus now on another 30 right so that that might be the case i don't know obviously that's their dynamic and if he thinks that she needs to refocus and not be having said that if you look at the match and you feel like mm, maybe she's better when she's relaxed and she's having a good time and yeah. she's enjoying herself i don't know so well, I mean, it's, it's a very individual thing I'm going to add just one more thing, which is after Naomi kind of had this period where she went through a pretty rough stretch right after, you know, basically the tour came back to Europe and the States back in early, you know, March or so, she really hadn't had many results up until basically the last couple of weeks on the U.S. Open series where she kind of seemed to put it together. And towards the beginning of refinding her game, she posted a a lengthy note on on social media basically saying, hey, you know, I I feel like it's important for me to be honest about this. I have had a really rough time. I haven't been having fun out there. I think it's really showed, and I want to be the kind of person who... Enjoys it. Enjoys it, and when I'm having, you know, a good time, that's the best space for me to be in mentally and I've started to enjoy it again you know so thanks for bearing with me and I'm, I'm always trying to you know work on my game and I'm a work in progress which I thought was a very vulnerable and, and cool for you know especially as how young she is but also sort of an indication that she had been in a headspace that was very sort of negative well you know, well, you know some of I mean look great and fantastic but on the other hand I'm like I wish some you know she would just like not care about what everyone thinks you yeah. know what I mean just who cares like she's you know, in her, what is she, 20? 20. I mean, yeah. you know, look, she's got so much potential and upswing. I would just be like, look, you know, let's just keep working hard. Yeah. That's it. Let's keep working hard. The results will come. You're too good to not have another result. I mean, she's won two Grand Slams at 20. It's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. And I think, you know, it's probably just the, your standard growing pains of somebody who's not only 20 in any context of their lives trying to get it together, but also somebody doing it under a microscope on a very high stage, being the number one player currently in the world. Um, this brings up two kind of related subjects, one of which is on-court coaching. You know, you mentioned to me uh, ESPN extended their broadcast coverage, as everybody knows who mm-hmm. listens to this. ESPN um, 
you're a voice in everyone's ear for the duration of the two weeks that the main draw is happening. But this year, they broadcast and yeah. provided commentary for the week before. It was great. It was great. And we had some great matches. Um, you know, even our, we finished off with Asia Muhammad losing 7-6 in the third um, in her match, but we followed it right till the end. And we were supposed to be off air two and a half to three hours before that, and we covered wow. it for another three hours. So, you know, it's a collaboration really with the USDA and making, um, you know, concerted effort with ESPN to really showcase more of tennis. Uh, and it was great. We got to have access to the players. We interviewed so many players the whole week and got access to them on the practice court and off the practice court, and it was really good. Um, show, and players are a little bit more relaxed because they're in a practice week, they're not in matches. So they don't, you know, when they're doing, when they're playing matches, they're being asked and prodded to do so much. Yeah. Um, and their days are long. So it was really, really great for us. The on-court coaching was really interesting because you had players like walking over and talking to their coaches and some weren't even taking timeout breaks and sitting down and, you know, would prefer to get... Um, coaching and then you know we had the most dramatic match I think I've ever seen in my whole life um, with Sasha Vickery playing Shinikova um, who went down to the wire 7, 6 and 3rd in an incredibly hot 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 day probably the hottest day we've had in New York this year um, and that went for uh, God knows how long but Sasha Vickery through this match was just I, I, honest to God she, she seriously needs to like reevaluate her career mm. um, because I mean, from two at two one in the first set, she is smashing rackets. It's two one, wow! Like you know, and like banging rackets, and she you know eventually finally got a warning. And I mean, she's losing her fucking mind on the court. I mean, that's coming from me. I mean, I used to lose my shit sometimes on the court, <laughs> but I mean, I was watching this going. You cannot cannot act like that on the tennis court what? from the first second or third game what on, was going on? Is this and a... then and then to top it off it's like five all in the second set and she's at love 15 so she's potentially you know eight no not even seven points away from winning the match the girl has a horrendous drop shot she runs up has a whole court she misses it long now okay it's shit you want to be love 30 i get it but it's 15 all it's not the end of the world like you still can win this game and then hold and the match is over and she did not let go of missing that forehand for the entire game mm-hmm. i mean yelling out loud like how could you miss that and then she was like you know, she'd lose a point to go 30 all, and she'd be like, see, you've given her an opportunity. And it's just like, oh, my God, as a coach, I'd be like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, seriously, if you can't let go of that yeah. point at 5 all, and you're all you're doing – and her PS, and by the way, her opponent was losing her shit. And you're just let, let the door open again. So, yeah. And then the tie break started, and then it was 6-4 in the third and, and in the tie break, and the girl played an unbelievable point, and she thought she'd hurt her leg, but a lot of us think it was a cramp. Then they called it the – physio out and the physio deemed that it could possibly be a you know torn muscle so they treated it and vickery's losing her shit yelling from the other end it's a cramp it's a cramp i mean but it was like honestly caitlin when i tell you there was three or four players watching the match text messaging me saying what the fuck is going on out there this is a drama like i've never seen in my whole life and i'm telling you of course the trainer came out had treatment they played another really long point and the girl won the point, and Sasha Vigor is just beside herself, goes 6-all and loses 8-6 in the tiebreak. Now, to summarise all of that, bottom line, was it a bullshit move from the player? 90% of the people will say yes, 10% will say maybe she did tear a muscle. Like, who knows? She said she had torn it before, and it felt the same. you got to give her the benefit of the doubt. But as a player, down the other end, it shit happens. Yeah. And you got to play, and yeah. you still have match point. And she loses a point, but it, she didn't lose the match there. Like, yeah. Sasha... You lost the match at 2-1 in the first when you're throwing your racket. Like, 
there's a reason you're ranked 100 and something in the world. I'm mean, going to be really brutally honest. You yeah. cannot act like that and think that you're going to be a good tennis player. Well, what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, obviously it's the last round of qualifying, so everybody has their sights totally. set on making the main draw. A huge monetary boost that comes just from making a main draw. Yeah, $50,000. I mean, it's not a joke. Uh, you know, that's some that makes up the bulk of what a lot of players can take home in a year, right? Yeah. But it is interesting because we started this part of the conversation about on-court coaching. Where was her coach? Oh, he was there. Was he At 6-5, she went over to the side and he was like on top of her telling her stuff and she's crying her yeah. eyes out and like yelling and screaming. I'm like, what, you think this is going to help you? Yeah. I mean, you still, P- oh, P.S., yeah. by the way, you still got match point, you know. Right. Like, y- y- it's match point. Yeah. You are at match point. Yeah. Like, okay, let it go. Sit yeah. there and get yourself, regroup and say, okay, she's hurt herself or she's cramping. I'm going to win this match. Well, it, on Twitter was all, all summer. Yeah. It's been good. Has it? Yeah, it's been good. Is this good for your yes. psyche? Okay. Because, listen, one of the things that Serena said at the US Open last year was how she felt men get away with more stuff. Okay. You could argue that for and against, all right? You know, uh, look, some of the stuff that she did, you know, she has to own. And she has owned it um, to a certain degree. Some people think she hasn't, like you. Um, but, look, she lost her shit and she paid the price in the end. Sure, She certainly. lost her shit. She lost the match. She, I mean, lost, look, she got fined a lot of money and she lost the match. Yeah. Okay. But she has a point. So I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. this year. I'm courtside at the, the, the tournament. And I'm sitting watching Nick Kier- – uh, no, so I'm sitting watching Stefanos Sissipas. Sissipas breaks a racket right in front of me, literally, and goes to the chair and changes his racket out. Okay? Mm-hmm. Crickets from Very the umpire. Point. Nothing. Crickets. No, no warning. Walks back, starts another point. No fucking warning. Yeah. I'm like sitting there going, what is going on with my life here? Yeah. Okay? Okay, so that's one. And then he's playing Nick Kyrgios in the semifinals. He takes a ball and, I mean, rifles it like, like a dart into the stands. Wow. Into the stands. I mean, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm thinking, this better get out of the stands or this, yeah. is, this could hit somebody. Yeah. Okay? Some guy catches it in the crowd. Catches it with his hand. Thank God. Yeah. Crickets. Nothing. Crickets really? from the umpire. I look at the ATP supervisor, literally, that I'm sitting next to, and I go, he's going to get... Tell me he's getting a warning for this. Yeah. He'll get a warning. He'll get a warning. Crickets. Nothing. No warning. Yeah. And the, you know what the umpire's excuse was? The guy caught the ball. Well, I'm like, you fucking kidding me? Well, so Serena can take a ball and sling it like that into the crowd. Somebody catches it. You're going to be like, oh, Ramos is going to be like, eh, guy caught the ball. Yeah. So that was to another in the same match. Nick Kyrgios is turning around the side, mouths off something about something and says the word fucking in the middle of the sentence, uh-huh. right? Okay. Yeah, no big deal. He's looking away from the umpire. Guess what? Linesman who heard it and there's kids mine yeah. go, goes up to the umpire. A la Serena Williams, yeah. right? With Narc. the line umpire. A narc. It goes and knocks on him. Uh-huh. Guess what? You know as a player, as soon as you see that line's walking up, you're like, fuck, I'm screwed. <laughs> right? So he goes up, obviously tells the umpire that Nick said, swore. And the umpire looks at him, nods. And the linesman goes back, crickets. Nothing. No warning. Really? Same umpire. Huh. So I'm thinking to myself, I have just seen in my week of sitting on court three blatant yeah. blatant code violations not a warning so my help and i am sitting there and i am fuming yeah. it's bullshit it's like if you're going to have a blanket statement on if you break a racket that's automatic if you hit a ball into the stands like that it's an automatic warning yeah. how is a code violation not given for those yeah, I, I don't understand it so you know when you have these players like serena going i've seen worse you know look roger federer 
Yeah. Great guy, right? Well behaved on 99.9% of occasions. Yeah, no, but he's, he's But he sat there at the US Open and looked at an umpire and said, don't fucking something or other. Yeah. Don't fucking something or other. Yeah. Don't fucking something or other. Like yeah. two or three times said yeah. the word fucking to the umpire. Yeah. Everybody yeah. heard it. In my view, that not a fun, not a warning. Yeah. Serena says, you're a thief. Yeah. You stole a point from me. Warning. The game penalty in the final of the US Open. So I'm just saying, I know yeah. how you feel about this, no, 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 with but, Serena, but, but think about that for a second. Absolutely. And to be clear, the way I feel about Serena is that she, uh, the the why what she said in by the letter of the law was worse was because there's literally a line that says you cannot question the integrity of an umpire. Totally. So that is why totally. a non-cursing statement to that of na- that nature might not elicit totally. something. if you drop the f bomb. That said, no, I, I the point is wide widely now known, which is that this is. Totally, totally Nick arbitrary. Nick was totally yelling arbitrary. out in his match in Cincinnati, yeah. which we all know how much he got fined. But he was He was yelling out, this is literally the worst umpire in the game. He's the worst umpire in the game. He shouldn't be something or something. You're, you're, you're saying that he is, yeah. you know, whatever you're saying. It's a, that's the same thing. 100%. You're, you're, it is. But, but no warning. And yeah. so it's like, look, guys, if you're going to have, if you're going to do this, do it. Yeah. Do it, or, agree. do it or don't do it. Yeah, yeah, One yeah. of the two. Yeah. Like, let's get on the same page here. And, you know, Ramos, everyone will say, you know, he did it by the letter of the law, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but let's know the circumstance as well. Yeah. And, and at that point, at a set in 4-3 in the women's final, it's probably time to bite your tongue. Well, I mean, the Cincinnati thing with Nick is interesting because, you know, he won the tournament in Washington. He committed at least one uh, uh, offense that you saw um, that oh. should have been... Yeah, Tsitsipas did too and didn't get caught. And also Tsitsipas was breaking his shoes left and right and going to the stands oh, and yeah, getting well, people to relay his crazy. shoes. It was kind of a fiasco. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Nick's getting busted? I mean, do you think that that's... Yeah, it was a lot. $113,000 is a lot. I mean, he this is not the first time he's gone completely apeshit. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. Um, I think now he'll realize that maybe when he goes off the court to break a racket, he has to do it in the uh, locker room and not in a place that has cameras. Listen, as well? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think so. if we're going to issue rules, which I think we should, which is nothing in the game that can be sort of put in the letter of the law should be, and also like nothing, it doesn't have to be this arbitrary, right? Lines are not arbitrary. The rules should not be arbitrary. This is equal application of the law based on a mutual understanding of what's going on out there. But also, I have to say, like, and this concerns juniors and the way that I think players um, comport themselves, which is I can't think of an instance in where turning the match into a total fiasco is good. Maybe it helps you with a modicum of intensity and help, but, like, you're getting free rackets from sponsors. If I were a racket sponsor and someone broke my rackets, I'd be peace. I'd be out. Well, Yonex did. Remember they implemented that you, like... You're not going to get a certain amount of you want rackets. You want shit for free? Don't break Because Coco was doing it a lot, Vandaway, and she was on, like, basically on notice. So, yeah, I mean, some, some companies have actually pulled the, uh, pulled the plug on that. But anyway, well, enough about Nick because um, we're going to see how he responds here at the US Open because he's going to have to win a couple of matches to get the money back. But, well, um, as always, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, I mean, me too. I love Nick. Yeah. Listen, look, look at, listen, I'm rooting for his Listen, too. And you know what? The bottom line is... With I'm rooting Nick, for Stefano Cisabas. I'm rooting for Nick all Nick tried his ass off in Washington, and he tried to control his And crazy. look what happened. And it was hard for him, and he managed to do it. And he's trying. It's just he just completely lost his mind. Yeah. Lost his mind in Cincinnati. Yeah. And you know, the thing was that he was up a set in 6-5. He just let it go, man. Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah. Just wait. You know, some people, I get it, but my biggest, biggest thing was 
I might lose it, but my whole goal was I wanted to win so badly. Yeah. Was Nick, you know, that if he can get to the point where he wants to win so badly as opposed to wanting to be right in an argument, because mm-hmm. God knows I like to be right in an argument, that's where he just, just don't, you don't have to be right in an argument all the time on court. Do it off court. Like, go and make your point off court, which is his point was about the starting of the clock before sure. the serve. Anyway, so, yeah, Nick got screwed there. Um, Nick got what he deserved, he, and he'll admit to that. There's, yeah. no, there's no question about that. Speaking of the men, um, let's hope Nick goes deep in the tournament because we know how funny he is to watch. But you just feel like it's just boring at this point. The men's tournament, I mean, look, if the men's tour is cr- incredible, yeah, the men's tour in Grand Slams where the only narrative that we have either seen or people can talk about the biggest story is where is Roger going to be up the top or down the bottom right yeah that's it snooze fest I'm ready for somebody else I don't care who it is I don't care if it's you know Sam Query I don't care if it's Danny Medvedev I don't care if it's I love Danny Medvedev I don't care if it's Sanga who's come back from not going to be Sanga probably not going to be Sanga but But um, Medvedev can play this guy it's just can these guys these younger players do it over best of five Dominic team has done it no number of times he just can't seem to do it back to back right he's yeah. beaten Djokovic in big matches and he can he's beat beaten, one of them he's beaten yeah he can beat one of them uh, but, but it's twice beating them twice you yeah. know or a Roger and a Rafa or Novak and uh, so we'll see I mean I liked team I think he'll be the first one to break through um, just because he's knocking on the door so many times yeah I think Daniel Medvedev loves he loves this yeah he loves to play yeah he's such a fun guy he like he actually enjoys the spotlight. He yeah. enjoys the fun of it. He enjoys the the you know the get down and dirty. He doesn't get too carried away. He's kind of got this like flair about him, mm-hmm. um, and he's a nice guy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm totally rooting for him to sort of break through, and maybe we can see what he can do. Over best of five, best of three is a whole different story. Best of three. I, that's why I like. Well, wouldn't it be nice tennis. if we had best of three in men's tennis? It would be great because best of three tennis is great and interesting yeah. in men and women. Yeah, and we might see some different players like breaking AF. through. So let me ask you a question because you know we have talked, we have talked, I've talked, you've talked ad nauseum about generation. Uh, you know, middle of the road, right? So this is everybody who's younger than the big three, but not the super, super young guys. I'm done talking about them. The Sangas. The millennials. The, we want the, millennials. The, the, XYs. Know, Grigor Dimitrov's like, those guys are done. It's yeah, they, over. Milo Trinov's like, no offense to those guys. It's just, there. it seems unlikely. Yeah. But this team, Zverev, Tsitsipas, um, Felix, uh, Felix Aliasiam, like, these guys are, these guys are real. How do you say it? How do you say it? Auger Aliasiam. Is that how you say it? Or is that how you're supposed to say it? I don't know. I think it's Auger Aliasim. Oh, fine. Felix Auger oh, yeah, Aliasim. Yeah. I, I did say it in front of him, and he goes, ooh, good. So oh, I'm going to okay. take All right, fine. Okay. Speaking of Felix, Felix I love him. He's Can I just favorite. tell you He's that? my absolute favorite. Can I just tell you, if I wasn't a lesbian... What? This is getting creepy. He's 18. No, I know. I'm not saying I would go after him. But he would that that guy. Oh, no, he's a that kid, I mean, this is, kid is he is such a sweetheart. He's he looks you in the eye when he talks so to you. So compelling on the court. Oh my god, he's got the it factor. Yeah, he's, he's, got the, he's, he's a star. He, the only problem with Felix that I feel is going to stop him is the serve. I don't know what's going on with the serve, but he has this little bit of a yippy thing with mm. the ball toss and. Well, he's got a big kick, right? Do, he's do got a like great it, serve when he gets the rhythm. He's got to find his rhythm. I don't know what's going on with it, but the there's kind of 18 and 19. Yeah. You cannot have the yips already, man. You get that when you're 28 and, or 35, and you're like, fuck, is this the last year of my life? <laughs> no. So that's a bit of a concern for me. I yeah. don't know if it's it's mental or what's going on, but that he needs to fix 
that. And I don't know how you fix that because we all remember Anna Ivanovich whoop, with the ball toss yeah. or, you know, Dementieva, and we've seen them, right? Yeah, There's, tragic. Ugh. You get into a tragic headspace. Well, so, Serve in particular. I mean, it's just so... Oh, and it's so big in men's tennis. I yeah. mean, so let's yeah. hope he gets that under under control because if he does, oh, my no, God, Felix I is a star. love he is him. so compelling to watch. And he's so nice yeah. and he he's, gets the respect oh anyway he's exactly I'm having a, a Felix love fest I love him he's that's great I mean no no argument here good 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 um while we're talking about young Canadians BB uh, BB Andreescu yeah what a crazy story huh? I mean look I did not think it was a fluke when she went to Indian Wells and tore everybody up yeah only because you kind of watched her for a couple of years and you thought oh what an interesting she's got the strike force alpha you know, well, what she, I'll shots. tell you what she does really but well. But she also has variety in a really smart way. She's a thinker. She is very smart on the court. She is not thinking, I'm going to overpower, I'm going to overpower, I'm going to overpower. She goes, no, you know what? I'm going to use my really good forehand, which is heavy with spin, mm-hmm. um, which you don't see often on the women's tour. You get a lot of balls that are hit pretty flat. Yeah. You know, when you think about the top players, Serena, Halep, Pliskova, I mean, Barty has Barty has variety, which mm-hmm. is why she does so well as well. Um, with not huge weapons, but really solid. Mm-hmm. Bibi's the same. She has this heavy forehand. She has a pretty flattish backhand, but then she throws these crazy drop shots and mm-hmm. forehand slices. And that's a Romanian coming out in her, right? That sort of like <laughs> nutty Romanian style of tennis, like a little Nicolescu-esque. Yeah. Um, well, she also does what she does not, she will not allow anyone to call moon balls, but we would call the moon balls back in yeah. my day. She, she calls it an, uh, an offensive topspin ball, which it is, but it's yeah. a different kind. It's of, a changeup. is what it is. It's a changeup, exactly. She has a changeup high. And then all of a sudden she's getting you out of your head zone. It's, yeah. It's genius. She's smart. She just recognizes, look, I, I could go toe to toe, but I'm probably not going to win that way all the time. Yeah. So I'm going to throw in a few of this and a little bit of that and a little pepper, a little cayenne. And then all of a sudden she throws in a drop shot and then and she's got hands and she can react well with the net. She's, she's quick. She's quick. And she's quick. Yeah. And so she's smart and she's patient. And what a fucking great story. I mean, she wins Indian Wells and she bloody goes off with the shoulder and the, this and the, that injury and this injury and then comes back and wins bloody the, I mean, tournament in Canada which other than a Grand Slam is the biggest win of her is going to be the biggest oh, yeah. win hometown of her hometown crowd I mean it's no, premier manager it's crazy it's, it's great nuts. Well, I also just and she's fun she's got a she's fun not, attitude like Felix they both are like very sort of optimistic smiley you know they well just she's a, a little bit of a drama queen on the court and I love her but it's like well, she you has, see where she gets it from well yeah have you seen her mom in she's the, Romanian have you seen her mom in the crowd her mom has like yeah. a, a lone parasol of one with sunglasses on 24-7 yeah. even in night match that's the I'm Romanian like, okay, coming out in her right she's a little nutty you know but she's then she's a little dramatic but you know what good for her I mean she's young and so the way she's handled this pressure is pretty bloody great and she's not lost a match against a top 10 player that's nuts ever it's, I don't think that's a stat I don't think this ever happened exist in, there's no in way that's ever happened that's nuts there's no way anyway so she's a really exciting I'm young really talent as well she's her, really yeah. um, look she can really possibly do some damage listen here. you know what I think she has BDE big dick energy did it. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Did it. Big dick energy. All right. Well, as a woman, good for her. Um, <laughs> All right. What else do we need to We want about? to t- touch upon just a little sad uh, story was uh, Anissa Mova's dad passed away just before the US Open. So she had to pull out of the tournament. Really great up and coming young American. Um, so, you know, we wish her all the best in her family and, uh, you know, tennis is, will be here for a really long time, but obviously she's 19. 
take your obviously, time, come back. Obviously, that's a really sad yeah, thing and, to happen. And her dad was her coach, so you know we hope that she can sort of have the time away and realize that look, there's going to be a lot more U.S. Opens, but you know, sadly, she only has one dad. So that was a really sad story coming to the U.S. Open. So we wish her all the best. Um, you know, when you think about that a little bit, we had a Noah Rubin was talking um, recently on his podcast about sort of the t- tough side of tennis, and he brought up the fact that there was a lot of alcohol abuse and maybe you know various different things going on look there's no doubt that there are players that go into massive depressions when they're playing Mm -hmm. um you know i I, I tend to disagree with him on the alcoholic abuse Mm -hmm. situation i mean you can't be a professional athlete and get on the sauce like every time you lose i mean that's just you might you might have (laughs) jack sack you can't well there listen there are some that do for sure if you're in the top 10, it's yeah. not happening. Yeah. I can sure, tell you that for a sure. fact. Yeah. There's no top no, player. But just to interrupt you, I mean, I think behind the racket, which is Noah Rubin, who is an American ranked, what was he about 120 in the world? Something like that. Mm, he kind of fluctuates between like 80 and 150. Yeah. Um, you know, he has this digital platform behind the racket where he talks about sort of the down, the hidden sides or yeah. sort of, you know, a lot of it focuses on mental health, health and, you know, or unhealthy and un- mental un- health. unhealth in this case, but talking a lot about basically what a grind it is for a lot of players. It's a grind especially outside the top 10. And so, yeah, you can't be top 10 and be no. hitting the sauce, but I think more his point is a lot of other people who are sort of down towards, you know, where he is in the rankings are are coping maybe yeah, because in they're dealing in a healthy with, way or not. Because they're dealing with, like, it, this is, should I be doing this anymore? I'm not yeah. making any money and this and that, and maybe they should stop drinking. That would help them to actually... I thought you might make that comment. Uh, yes. Just saying, okay. you know, uh-huh. now that I'm a casual um, drinker <laughs> on a casual... of Daily occasions, uh, you can't do it. It's too yeah. hard. So I think the more the thing I want to stress more is less about the alcohol abuse and all that sort of stuff. I think it's more about the depression or the depression side of yeah. tennis. Well, because alcohol is a coping mechanism for something that's a hundred percent. So yeah. you are going to have some people that are dealing with that. But I think overall, it's more about how difficult the life is. And every week you lose. I mean, you're a loser every week. That's yeah. how you feel. Yeah. Even though you win a match, you have that high. Yeah. I mean, I've always said well, that... Only one person wins a tournament. I mean, just the truth of it is 50% of people lose on the first day. That's yeah. just something you have to it's part deal of with every single time you go out there. It's 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 legal addiction Yeah, is what I call uh, being a professional athlete. Interesting. You know, it's legal addiction. And you, you have that high and then you have that really quick low and it's just brutal and the low lasts, you know, days and you're just depressed, depressed. You don't want to leave your room. You think you suck. You're never going to be good enough. I mean, it all goes on in your head. And then you just got to pick yourself back up and get on with it. It's kind of like getting broken up with every week. You just got to get on with it you yeah. know, and find a way to find that passion again to get up on the practice court. Um, so, so yeah, that's you'll, you'll be seeing a lot of players dealing with it, particularly at the end of the year, this last Grand Slam. It means a lot to these players. So, yeah. so overall, look, we're going into the US Open with some great storylines once again with the women's tour. Um, who's going to win? Flip a coin. Will Madison Keys break through and win a Grand Slam? Will Karolina Pliskova break through and win a Grand Slam? I mean, these are the, sort of the questions. Will Bibi Andreescu have the year of her life? Yeah. Can Ash Barty win two slams? What about my girl Sabalenka? Maybe she'll Sabalenka is an interesting situation because she really looked like she was going to be the Naomi Saki last year and break through and win a slam because she was playing so well. And then all of a sudden she's had a bit of a rough year. She's yeah. played a little better over the last couple of weeks. But... Jesus Christ, she has a tough first round. She plays Azarenka in the first yeah. round, and poor old Vika can't catch a break with yeah. the draws. So yeah. one of them's going to break through, and maybe if whoever wins that match can get through to a quarterfinal. There's some insane first-round matchups. Obviously, we talked about Maria Serena, which I don't think will be, to your point, a very competitive, uh, competitive tennis match, but it certainly doesn't lack it's for compelling. some drama. It's compelling. Um, you got 
as you just noted, the two Belarusians against each other. You got Coco Vandoy, who we always like to see well because I, I love her game yeah. all quarter. But she's struggling. She plays Kennan first round. She plays Kennan first round, which is really tough. A young American who went deep in a couple of slams. Who I love. That's great. Talk about a great competitor. Just firecracker. Um, and then another match that I love because I'm a nerd is um, Angelique Kerber, Christina Mladenovic. Oh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a good one, That'll too. That'll be a good one, too. Just well, because Angie struggles too. sometimes in the first round. She gets a little bit nervous, and she yeah. doubts herself a little bit, and she doesn't have those big weapons. So sometimes she, if she has a bit of a tight day, that Mladenovic can take advantage of that. Yeah, Mladenovic is like an emotional player. She's got a lot of tools. She's She, really she hasn't had get... a great couple of weeks, though, leading into the US Open, either. So it's kind of a battle of who can muster the confidence yeah. to, you know, break it down. But I have to it, say this, though. Great I mean, we've talked a lot about recognizable names, but for me, truly, and this is something I love so much about having a slam in our backyard, which is just, I cannot get over how fun, like, the first five days are. For me, nothing yeah. is more fun than the beginning couple of days of a tournament, and especially the beginning couple of days of a slam, because you just turn around, and then there's some other insane match going on, or it's to your right, or, oh my god, there's a crazy barn burner third set going on on court 17, let's yeah. all get out there. And what's so great is that, you know, if you do have a chance to go to the tournament, don't go to Ash. Go to the grounds. Oh, and no. Just walk around. Definitely don't go to Ash in the first like two or three days because they usually blowouts. You've got the top seeds playing against people that have, don't even know how to walk onto Ash. Don't even know where Arthur Ash Stadium is half the time. So, yeah, the best matches are, um, you know, often the best matches like Grandstand. Yeah. Or maybe Louis Armstrong now. Totally. That's and Louis Armstrong is like a. Not a reserve seat a lot of times, so yeah, you can I'm get some great. Best, one of the that's best a great. That's, I would just sit there it's the amazing. whole time because yeah, you often place. get really good matchups there. Grandstand, of course, is always notoriously the grandstand tends to be. So for you out there, they're going to the open. Grandstand is usually the the matchups that really like a whoa, like an Azarenka, yeah. Sabalenka, yeah. like a Felix Azier, Ali Sim is playing like Shapovalov, a, like a fan favorite yeah. like the, the players it's the choice. match that everyone match goes that's, Ooh. everyone knows is going to go the distance Ooh. whether or not the rankings are enough exactly. for the blockbuster but it's one that real tennis fans know okay we're going to get to it'll it be a Coco Vandaway Cannon match exactly like those like sort that. of matchups it's usually where you'll put a put players on grandstand so, yeah. so that's a fun so, insider tip yeah we're we're looking forward to it Caitlin we can't wait I'm going to be very busy yes um in between uh, my espn duties um which you know how much i love working for them and i just i feel really lucky and blessed that i get to do that job for a living um uh, but i also now am a little responsible for my buddy sam stozer yeah. so let's all get behind her and we'll see what happens and in the meantime let's hope uh one thing we won't be seeing is uh mr ramos in a chair with serena williams playing a match that has been designated a no-go zone yep exactly thank god um, and and just to tip off everybody, players are allowed to ask to not have certain umpires in their chair. It doesn't happen very often. Another Twitter war I had uh-huh. over the last oh, couple of weeks. I had I played 22 years on the professional tour, and I asked for three umpires to not be in my chair over that time, and they were not put in my chair after that. And one was the last one was an umpire told me shit happens on the court, <laughs> and I didn't take too kindly to that. So I requested that umpire never to be in my chair again. And and often it's because some some umpires are a little bit competitive, combative as well. And mm-hmm. I kind of had that combative personality. Oh, I didn't right. need someone on the court being competitive with me who was the umpire who needed to be calming me down. Makes sense. So that's sort of what happened there. I had a German guy in the chair one time who was just I felt was just a dick, and I just didn't want him in the chair. And we had, I had problems with him on the court. 
Um, so yeah, so it happened. So you know, the fact that Serena may have asked for that, then or or not, I don't think she asked for it. To be perfectly honest with you, um, umpires can also ask to not be in. Well, if I was him, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame him. Um, I'm going to be on US Open Radio doing the podcast almost every day, and you can buy the latest issue of Racket Magazine in the bookstore of the grandstand. So if you want to get your hands on it. Find uh, Ms. Mary Carrillo, who contributed to our piece about Vetus Gerulaitis. Yeah, Vetus Gerulaitis, 25th year this year of his death. Um, one of the true characters and gentlemen and great guys of this sport, sadly, died um, in a tragic incident where he was basically killed with carbon monoxide poisoning. Brutal. Um, so, yeah, go and uh, grab the magazine. It's tits, as we say. It tits. looks amazing. There's some actual tits in it. We got uh, the really? drag queens of holding oh, yes. court TV. Are those tits or those fake tits? It doesn't matter. They're going to be on the ground, so if you see a uh, very of... tall Arena Katrinka uh, drag queens walking around, go get them to autograph your issue. Nick McCarville wrote a great piece about them. We got a throwback to Monica Seles and Jennifer Capriati. You know, it's a good time, and it's just in time for the US Open. It's so, a beautiful mag. Go grab one. It looks uh, good. Listen out for Renee. Uh, and I'll be there. Come, come, come say hi. Come say hi. I'll yeah, be on the ESPN uh, desk uh, out on the Fountain Plaza um, every single day out there. So come say hi and uh, bring your racket gear and we'll sign it. Maybe the magazine and oh, I'll yeah, sign the magazine. Good, yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks, Kate. Let's do another one in the middle hey, of the week. I'll we see you in the middle of the week and I'll see what players I can grab. Um, and, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Keep questions coming. Talk we you love time. you. Bye. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.